Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Feather. Feather helps nonprofits of all shapes and sizes build powerful campaigns that help you reach new fans and find new donors wherever and whenever they're online. We love them because their tech makes creating and optimizing your paid ad strategy super simple. And oh yeah, they just happen to be amazing humans too. Sound like Feather might be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at feather.co. That's feather without the last e.co. Or follow the link in our show notes. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. She's back, Becky. We're so excited. I know. Like favorite friend alert. We are so excited that Elizabeth Abel is back in our house again. She's a repeat guest. And I just have to tell you, not only is she one of the most forward thinking nonprofit strategists, I think globally, and just what she knows and how she shows up in this lifetime, she is such like a behind the scenes cheerleader, connector, um, just a great human being. So I think, John, like this may be an annual thing that when that giving report comes out, (laughs) this is the time that Elizabeth comes back into our house. And so I want to thank every single person who tuned in to this episode today. I think it's massively important that we are constantly assessing and looking at the data and the trends in our sector, specifically right now when so much is shifting in the world, online, in communities, the way that nonprofits are starting to pivot out of some sort of old style of thinking, mindsets, operating. And so Elizabeth is here. She understands data. And we want to give you a little bit of a background, though some of you may already know her. She's just an expert in philanthropy, and she's also the senior vice president at CCS Fundraising, which I'm sure many of you know is a global consulting firm to nonprofits. She provides counsel on strategic planning, major gifts, board engagement. She also just happens to be an Ivy League instructor over at Penn, where she teaches a fundraising course to graduate students on nonprofit leadership. Um, and she's just been recognized by Bella Magazine of a, as a woman of influence in philanthropy. We love her so much. She's one of, she's like two blocks away from Julia in New York City now. She's just an avid traveler, a glacial lake hiker. She's a tea drinker and a toddler chaser. And we want to make sure that we give a little shout out to her darling daughter, Samara. So Elizabeth, get into this house. Let us know what the philanthropy trends are. (laughs) Let's dive into the data and figure out how to infuse this into our missions. Well, thank you so much for having me again. This is an absolute highlight, and I am very much looking forward to our conversation and unpacking this super juicy data together. Lots to discuss and lots to look forward to. Uh, Well, thank you for diving into this. Just really appreciate CCES being a leader on watching these trends and figuring out not just what does the data say, but how to interpret the data and how does that make us pivot. And for anyone who missed last year's conversation, Elizabeth came on episode 134 and also did a breakdown of this. It actually would be really interesting to hear the juxtaposition of how the numbers move, but we want to kind of just get into insights into the current philanthropic landscape. 
talk to us about this data that's really analyzing giving in 2021. Um, can you kind of give us an overview of what you saw and some of the high-level trends that you're seeing? The leading headline from the recent Giving USA report is that giving in America remains strong, and a total of $484.85 billion was invested into the philanthropic marketplace in 2021. Still a pretty impressive number, up from $471 billion last year. Yeah, because I mean, I feel like you've got to have the context of like these years have felt really unprecedented. And so I think no one really knew what was going to happen with the data, but I think even seeing it fairly flatline is fascinating too, because 2020 was such an anomaly, right? It was. Um, the economic, social, and political events of 2020 absolutely impacted giving in 2021. And there were two key factors that contributed to consistently strong philanthropy. The first was the continued impact of the pandemic. COVID-19, which we're still grappling with right now. And then the second was racial and social justice advocacy efforts. Um, the other thing I would say too, which is important, is that giving correlates with the stock market. And as we saw in 2021, stock market performance was strong. The um, S&P 500 had a nearly 27% increase, which is significant when we think that about philanthropy and people's willingness to invest their, their charitable dollars. Now, of course, we are in the midst of one of the highest inflation rates that we've seen in nearly four decades. So it'll be interesting to see how that impacts charitable giving currently and what the data looks like next year. But all in all for 2021, the key takeaway is that Americans are generous, they continue to be generous, and that philanthropy is responsive and resilient. I mean, so good. Okay. Can we do a little bit of definitions here? Because I think if, this, if you're new to this sector or you're new to these reports, we're really talking about kind of two things here. And one is that Giving USA that does this great kind of backbone research, but then y'all overlay it with this landscape report. And we love it because we love the tone setting it creates. We love the ability to really zoom out and look at what does it mean? What is it? How does it impact our daily work? So could you kind of like break those down and let's share how people can get in either one of those pieces of data too, just as kind of a playbook? I'd be happy to. So the Giving USA report is published each summer in June, and it's a partnership through the Giving USA Foundation and the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at Indiana University. CCS fundraising at the end of each summer takes both the Giving USA data and research from across the field and compiles it into our hallmark report, which is our snapshot of the philanthropic landscape. It is honestly my favorite report of the year. It is such a good report. <laughs> so good. I literally print it out, highlight it, take all my notes, but it, um, it compiles and analyzes the philanthropic landscape and it also offers a deep dive on individual foundation and corporate giving. And this year we'll also be unpacking digital giving, planned giving, and um, thinking about the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion in fundraising as well. But what I especially appreciate the, about the report is that it's full of action-oriented insights for nonprofit leaders and their teams. So often we hear the question, so what? So this data is really interesting. It's cool. Okay, great. But what does that mean for my day-to-day -day work as a development officer or a director of development or an executive director of a small nonprofit? And so we really try and think about the action-oriented insights that people can take away and then realize in their day-to-day -day work. 
It's just so insightful. And I, I just want to thank UNCCS for taking the time and pouring your expertise into interpreting it and providing that report, the landscape report for free. And we're going to make sure that you guys have a link to it. We're going to put it in the show notes because we want you to spend some time going through the data. And then we want you to socialize it with people in your office and your colleagues and talk about what you think it means and how are you seeing it play out? Because truly, if anybody is finding ways that to really succeed and scale with some of these new strategies or tactics. We want to know about it because we want to replicate it. And okay, I'm trying not to go into corporate giving because I'm so excited (laughs) about the corporate giving trend, but I'm going to stay on individual giving for just a little bit. And I want you to talk a little bit about individual donors and this whole donors up, dollars down phenomenon that we're seeing. So individual giving is really important because individuals collectively contribute 67% of that total $485 billion figure. In fact, individuals contributed $326 billion. What's interesting, though, is that we are seeing a trend, as you mentioned, Becky, dollars up, donors down, where essentially a smaller portion of high net worth individual donors who are making mega gifts are contributing a larger percentage of the pie. And so what we think about and what the data shows us is that mega gifts by individuals represented approximately 5% of total charitable giving or about $15 billion. And in fundraising, one of the things that we consider is our path to any goal that we are embarking on, whether it's your annual campaign goal, a capital campaign goal, And we always think about the path in the shape of a pyramid. You need a few leadership gifts to set the pace and lay the path to a broader base of support. What we're seeing now is that the shape of the pyramid is changing to be more like an Eiffel Tower, whereas previously approximately 80% of any fundraising effort came from about 20% of donors. Now we're seeing that shift to about 90 or sometimes in higher ed and healthcare where you have, you know, 100 plus million dollar gifts being made. Sometimes it's 90 or 95% of your campaign total coming from just 10% of your donor base. And so there are significant implications for nonprofits as we think about what this means and where we should be investing our own efforts and our teams. And one of the things that I think about is investing in strong principal and major giving programs. If this is where the bulk of money is going to be coming from, it's really important that we have strong teams to support strong major giving programs, both frontline and then kind of operational team members too, to help build the capacity to secure the gifts that will allow us to be successful. I mean, hugely fascinating coming out. And I think of like some of the major drivers in mega philanthropy. I mean, like the McKinsey Scott has got to be disrupting this model. Is is there any data out yet to see? Is that unrestricted mega giving, is that becoming more of a trend or are we just seeing that kind of at the top of the headlines? And tell me if that's not even out or available. I'm just so curious. Well, I think McKenzie Scott in particular is a role model for unrestricted giving. Nonprofits need unrestricted giving. They know their missions, they know their programs, and they know their organizations best. And it's really important to provide them with investments that allow them to be flexible and meet the moment. Um, So whenever possible, I always encourage donors to consider unrestricted giving to support the causes that they care about. I also think she's ushering in this just brilliant new culture for nonprofit of trust-based philanthropy. And I just think that speaks so highly to nonprofits that are really embracing not only um, 
holistic approaches to fundraising, but the way they treat their staff, the way that they pay, the way that they are um, completely transparent in the way that they do business, how their boards operate, the diversity included. And to me, if that's what mega donors are looking for, then I'm super excited. The other point that I do want to make, because as a human, I really do believe that every gift matters and makes a difference because what I don't want is for people to see, okay, only mega gifts matter. And if I can't donate 10,000 or a hundred thousand or a million dollars, then why should I donate at all? Because I do really think it's important to recognize that every person is capable of making a contribution to a charity and that we all should as Americans, as humans who care about supporting others and creating a more inclusive world. Um, And that's where I think digital giving is really important in democratizing philanthropy and allowing people to participate, whether it's a $25 gift or a $100 gift or a $1,000 gift to be able to collectively contribute through digital giving. I think digital giving now comprises about 12% of total giving. So these smaller gifts can have a tremendous impact together. And I really want to emphasize that because I want people listening to this and, and to, you know, kids and teenagers and people who can perhaps only contribute $50 to really believe that those gifts matter too. I mean, I love that you're in, you have kindred spirits here, obviously, but I think that there's just, you're playing the long game and involving people at every level is an expression of your mission as people get activated and know what's happening. It's just, it all contributes and they will be future donors, maybe at a bigger level too. So it does all fit together, but thank you for putting a pin in we've got to pour into relationships too. I mean, this one-on-one giving is where it's at in terms of strategically, does your nonprofit prioritize those type of relationships? So, okay, we've got to talk about corporate giving. It's a trend that we love. And I realize it overall represents a smaller piece of the pie, but it seems to be trending up, I mean, massively. So what are you seeing in this space? So corporate philanthropy shocked everyone this year. It was the fastest growing giving source at about 18% from 2020 to 2021. It still only comprises about 4% of total giving at just over $21 billion. But what's really important to know about corporate giving is that it tracks stock market fluctuations. So corporate giving is typically less predictable because if the stock market's high, if GDP is high, corporations will likely give more. Conversely, as we may see right now, when the stock market's low, um, inflation is high, it's not always the case. So 2020 was unique. GDP was up 10%. And more importantly, corporate pre-tax profits were up nearly 37%, which is huge. (laughs) And so um, it makes sense that corporations in a year that they've had extraordinary profits would be more charitable than they had previously. Um, And many corporations are leaning into racial and social justice advocacy efforts, as well as disaster relief, including COVID-19 pandemic relief um, continued into 2021 as well. What was your reaction? I am so excited about (laughs) it. I'm buzzy. I'm like buzzy about it because to me, we're just seeing a massive reckoning in corporate social, not even responsibility anymore. It's like corporate social impact. And, you know, building corporate partnerships was one of our 2022 trends because we see the co-build nature of that being absolutely revolutionary and something that this report would not capture. It's going to capture the financial data, but we're also seeing corporations pour in with their employees, with manpower. We see them equipping their employees 
employees, you know, to be philanthropists. And they're using, you know, the workforce in very new and unique ways. And I think that's why it's so important that when you think about corporate giving, you're thinking about it from a very broad perspective. We call it asking a bigger question. It's not just about what they can financially give you. It's like, how can you leverage the gifts of each other? You know, you both have social media followings. You both have expertise that you both need from each other. And this sharing of resources and what we have and co-building these partnerships is something that's really exciting to me. And to know that the money is tracking along with that, to me, is forecasting a really exciting future for a nonprofit as it relates to how we're going to build corporate relationships. So that's that's what I was excited about. John, you go ahead. I mean, I love that when I first looked at y'all's um, first look report um, that we got to check out is that planned giving to me seems like this thing that we don't honestly talk about it enough on the podcast, but I see the impacts in this report. To me, it feels like one of the greatest opportunities as we start to build this tool belt. I feel like this conversation is about, okay, do you have this in your tool belt? Do you have this covered in your strategic plan? Planned giving really showed up in this. And I'd love for you to kind of give space to talk about that and how we could lean into that as nonprofits. I'm so happy you said that because I agree, planned giving and the opportunity to integrate planned giving conversations into major donor conversations is a huge opportunity. I think there's a lack of confidence around, you know, do I talk about a planned gift because it means I have to talk about what someone's going to do when they die and is that awkward and how do I broach the subject when we're just out to coffee? And I think there's there's a lot of, of nuances around it. At the same time, it's all about relationship building. It's all about helping to connect people to the mission of your organization and thinking about the ways in which they can support that mission, one of which is by making a bequest. And so I think integrating the opportunity to make a planned gift into major donor conversations earlier helps people think about it. It starts to plant the seeds of the organization. You know, I do a lot of um, feasibility and campaign planning studies. And one of the questions we've started to integrate into our conversations is, is this organization included in your estate plans? And it's helpful to know. I interviewed someone just yesterday who said, I don't have estate plans. And I've interviewed someone a few weeks ago who said, no, but now that I think about it, I want to add them. And so it's really helpful to just start the conversation because there's so much potential and so many things that are positive that can come out of it. I really want to talk about this for a hot minute because this came up a lot when I was a major gift officer. And I do think that there's something to say about what you just referenced of people don't want to talk about it because this is a generational gap. And I'll share just a personal story. You know, my husband is an attorney and does some, um, estate planning. And he talks about being shocked at the amount of people, especially our boomers or older, you know, who are terrified to talk about plan giving and they're terrified. That generation just does not want to talk about it. So I think having an understanding about who you're talking to and gently presenting that. I can tell you that I had a donor at my, our last organization who was very passionate about our burn center. And when we pitched a major gift opportunity to her, I mean, we definitely made the pitch, but then underneath the pitch, we said, Hey, here's some hybrid options of the way we could make this work. And, you know, certainly you can give out the cash and here's a way to break it down. But 
you know, here's how you can do it through your estate or a portion of it through your estate or through a life insurance policy. And what I found specifically in that one and others is people are really grateful to have a little bit of guidance from their fundraiser about how to do this. Because in their minds, somebody who's not the savviest philanthropist, maybe just thinking about how liquid am I and how quickly can I get this? And there are other ways that we need to be socializing that. So, so glad we talked about plan giving in this. And I feel like, don't you just think everything's threading together and there's been this awakening where people are leaning more into values, thinking about how that shows up where they want to work, how they want to spend their time. That's the perfect inroad to having a conversation of like, what do you want your legacy to look like? What are the values you want to help uphold and, you know, kind of preserve for the next generation or whatever. So I just see it all stacking and it's, it's really exciting that we see hope, you know, in the midst of so much that's happening right now. So Elizabeth kind of like rounded out for us, like when we're looking at the Giving USA 2021 trends, like what can we learn more about in this report? How is it going to impact philanthropy? Give us like the uh, Cliff Notes version of what you think somebody should take away right now. I think the emphasis continues to be on building meaningful and authentic relationships with people, people who care about the mission, who are interested in volunteering or making a major gift or being an advocate or fundraising ambassador. But it's how can we engage individuals and foundations and corporations to advance the work that we're doing through philanthropy. And I will say, and the more I've, I've been doing this, I've now been in my role for nearly a decade, I believe more deeply than I ever have before that philanthropy is one of the most powerful tools to drive social change. And in the world that we are living in today, the need for philanthropy to fill the gaps that other institutions are not or, or can no longer do is critical. And so it is a responsibility of each of us to engage in philanthropy, whatever philanthropy means to you. And I think that's really important because it's not limited to donating. It can include volunteering and showing compassion and standing up for what we believe in. But I think that holds true more today than it ever has before. Cue the, the confetti impact cannon. Uprising. I'm like, this is why we love chatting. <laughs> because I think <laughs> totally. that's why we show up. That's why we believe as well. And it is revolutionary. So Okay. Obviously we are coming out of COVID kind of, I guess we can say we're officially coming out of COVID. A lot of things changed during that time. What are the changes you have seen in all of your work that you think will stick, you know, as a result of just kind of these experiences that we've, we've had? There's three changes, two of which I think are focused on donors and one I think is really internal and about culture. So the first is virtual donor engagement. We are now comfortable engaging with donors virtually, which provides the opportunity to reach a broader audience, to accelerate fundraising strategies, and to meet with people in different ways for different reasons, whether it's a virtual gala or virtual event, a virtual major gift solicitation, but we will absolutely continue to see virtual engagement strategies into the future. Similarly, the rise in digital giving. Last year, we saw an explosion in digital giving, whether it's giving on social media, giving through just you know, your regular online platforms, but people are now making gifts with the click of a button. So it's really important that nonprofits have the technology and the teams to process a higher volume of gifts online. The third thing that I think we will see and that I think is really important, and it's important to me personally, is a culture change and a shift to 
remote and flexible work, a shift to putting employees first, to creating cultures of inclusion and equity and diversity and belonging that I think will ultimately allow organizations to be so much stronger and um, have a greater benefit to the communities that they're serving. The moment is here. I'm so excited. The trends (laughs) and the data are showing that what we talk about, guys, on this podcast all the time, that these trends are happening and we have to be ready to meet this moment. I am so excited about the inclusion component and I'm just here for this new wave of thinking and engaging. And thank goodness, people, I'm very excited about the hybrid, the embrace of hybrid and remote work. I think that's going to create balance that has never existed for a lot of nonprofit professionals. And I just think it's a mental health benefit that if your organization is doing it, like clap whoever your leader is on the back and give them a high five because we need more of that in the sector. Okay. Like, you know, we're a community of action, Elizabeth. We want to make sure that people have some actionable insights that they can take away. So after hearing all the data, um, what advice do you have for our listeners around creating strong cultures of philanthropy in our organizations? We'd love to have some actionable steps from that. I'm happy to share three. So the first is around making a strong case for philanthropy that most importantly meets the moment. So it's always important, you know, we think about our case for support. This is our rationale for philanthropic investments. It's our elevator uh, elevator pitch. It's how we articulate the impact of philanthropy on our communities. It's really important to revisit your case for support each year to make sure it's relevant and timely and fresh, that you're incorporating examples that will resonate with your donor audiences. So take the time especially over the summer when, in theory, things things are a little quieter, (laughs) to review your case, your case language, and really kind of amplify that language to meet the moment and look to the future. So that's the first thing. The second actionable insight is to engage your board members and your volunteer leaders as fundraising ambassadors. I am a huge advocate of engaging our lay leadership. They are some of our greatest assets. They champion our mission and engage their networks, and they inspire generous financial support, including making gifts of their own. So the question becomes, how can we engage them? So perhaps it's a board retreat. Perhaps it's, you know, asking someone to host a parlor meeting or engaging them in peer-to-peer solicitations. But how can we intentionally and in meaningful ways activate our volunteer leaders to advance our fundraising efforts? And then the third piece to what we just discussed um, earlier is to really lean into building an inclusive culture that's also growth-minded. So we are in, you know, I can confidently say our new normal. So now let's start to be creative. What can we do differently? What can we lean into? What can we try for the sake of just trying? And how can we most importantly put our people first, front, and center each and every day? And so this is a time to really think, you know, we have a very competitive market for talent. How are we investing in the onboarding and professional development and recognition of our talent in a way that makes them want to choose us to be a part of our team and to inspire them to reach their full potential? Well, could you feel us nodding through the podcast headphones? I mean, I think they stair stack and, and, you know, a lot of support will come through if you listen to the show, because those are just things that do revolution, revolutionize cultures and just make you show up more full, 
wholehearted in what you get to do. And so thank you for breaking all that down, Elizabeth. And thank you for the professional development shout out. I mean, friends, you know, this is the soapbox that we go to die on all the time, (laughs) which is if you are not investing in yourself to understand how to meet this moment, you know, whether it's digitally, whether it's a tool, whether it's automation, then we feel like you're falling behind and we want you to to make the case for why professional development should be the first thing put into your budget, not the first thing that is taken away because it will provide an ROI that will compound upon itself as you continue to learn and grow and your colleagues continue to learn and grow. I remember when you told me you were launching We Are For Good Pro, I remember thinking to myself, I wish this existed when I was earlier on in my career because I would have taken, first of all, every single class. And second (laughs) of all, because I wish I had the resources to learn different skills and hear from thought leaders and access to what's going on in their brains and how they're successful. So I think it's amazing the platform that you've created. And I too agree that this should be the number one thing, professional development, that nonprofit organizations prioritize when thinking about building their teams in their future. Well, thank I'm you for that warm and endorsement. Fuzzy. I'm like, can we put Elizabeth on the cover um, endorsing <laughs> totally. We Are Good Pro? <laughs> okay. I mean, I could have gone straight into this when we kind of had our moment talking about that we really believe philanthropy is the driver for so much good that could happen in the world and social change. Is there a story that stuck out with you maybe this past year, or maybe it's one in your recesses from your amazing work of just philanthropy doing its thing, you know, making change in the best of ways in your own story? So I was thinking a lot about this question and also just thinking about the amazing women in my life. And my sister is someone who is very quiet behind the scenes um, in our very loud, energetic (laughs) family. Um, And she is a scientist. She's a researcher. She just got her PhD. So I'm going to brag on her for a minute. Um, But she has one of the, I know, she has one of the most kind and compassionate and selfless hearts I've ever, ever known. And the story that I would say, because it goes to show the power of one person with the vision. So when we were in middle school, one of my sister's friends was diagnosed with leukemia. And you know, when you're 12, 13 years old, that feels very overwhelming. Um, Yet my sister decided she was going to do something about it. And so she had organized for her bat mitzvah project. For those of you who don't know what a bat mitzvah is, if you're tuning in, it is kind of a rite of passage when you go from childhood to adulthood in the Jewish community. And typically you do what we call a mitzvah project or an act of philanthropy or charity to, you know, cross that that threshold. And so for her bat mitzvah project, she decided that she was going to raise money for Relay for Life. And so, you know, this was back before email appeals. So it became a family project that she really spearheaded. And every year she would type up a letter, print it out, sign it, and mail it to probably, you know, started out as 50, 100, 200, 300 families in our community for her bat mitzvah project. And the first year it was just her that project. And then she did it again and again. And then when she got to high school, she decided she wanted to start a Relay for Life club through American Cancer Society. And I think when we were freshmen, she had the inaugural Relay for Life at Horace Greeley High School in Chappaqua, New York. <laughs> and, uh, and we just learned recently that to date, her Relay for Life has raised over a million dollars for the American Cancer Society. Um, And I'm just so proud of her because I think back now to 
you know, organizations that want to kind of reach a goal and create that vision and what's the message and what's the work that has to get done. And I just remember, you know, doing laps around our high school track with my parents and my grandparents and my sister and our friends. And it's an overnight event. And I'm not a huge fan of all-nighters, but this was like the one, the one all-nighter that I would pull for my sister. And I just remember, you know, when you, you had sent me this question, I was just like, you know what, I really want to call attention and shine a light on my sister Rose for, you know, all the work that she's done in philanthropy that, you know, I think has really shaped her. And and I hope it's um, a message. You know, she was 11, 12 years old when this project started. And I think it, it goes to show that, you know, when you have a vision and you're committed to that vision, it just takes a lot of work. Um, but there are some really extraordinary results that can happen. Everyone can be a philanthropist. And everyone can do something. I mean, what a beautiful story. And you know what I just love profoundly on this podcast? When we ask lifers, fundraising lifers like Elizabeth, who have worked with massive billion-dollar campaigns for a story of philanthropy, and they do not bring us their multimillionaire. They bring us what's most personal. This is your sister, who is a scientist who has raised over a million dollars for a cause. I remember Relay for Life. I remember being up all night as a freshman college student doing it in my little community of Stillwater, Oklahoma back in the day. And to think that she would have such consistency and tenacity to do that is a beautiful story. And also makes me think, what are you doing with your kids or with your nieces or nephews, you know, in this lifetime to help awaken that kind of passion? Awesome story, Elizabeth. So bring us home. You know what the last thing is. Bring, (laughs) Give us a one good thing. Wrap it all up with a pretty bow. What's your one good thing that you'd offer the community today? So my one good thing is actually pretty light and it is vacation. I believe that we are all working very, 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 very hard. And there is a tremendous sense of burnout in the sector right now in particular, and a feeling that every day there's just yet another thing to bring us down. And the importance of taking care of ourselves is more important than ever before. And I just did that. I just took a week vacation with my husband without our child, which for parents who are able to do that, (laughs) I highly recommend (laughs) And it reinforced in me the question, what brings me energy? And that's a question that I would flip to everyone who's on this call. What brings you energy and how can you carve out time this summer, this fall, each quarter, each week to do one thing, one good thing that brings you energy and more importantly, that brings you joy. Elizabeth, you are so wise. In this conversation, I have hope, I have excitement, I just, I'm just feel grateful that we get to sit in this space, that we get to kind of be in the crossroads of such meaningful work happening. So, I mean, tell our listeners how to connect with you. You are all over the social providing this type of content all the time and loving on people. Um, tell people how they can connect with you and then about CCS too. Y'all got so many good resources rounded up. So connect the dots there for us. Absolutely. So I will start with CCS. As um, Becky and John shared in the beginning, we are a global fundraising consulting firm. We are headquartered in New York, but we have offices across the country and a few internationally as well. 
You can check out our website. We work with nonprofit organizations on development initiatives and large-scale capital campaigns and assessments. And I hope if there's one thing that's come across, it is that I love philanthropy and my colleagues all love philanthropy and working with amazing nonprofits on their fundraising programs. If you're interested in learning more about me, um, questions about our conversation, you can connect with me in three ways. One is just old-fashioned email. I am always on my email. Two is um, via LinkedIn. And then third is my professional Instagram, Elizabeth Bernie Abel, where, as John mentioned, I offer nonprofit industry insights and some action-oriented tips for professionals in the sector. I think everybody can understand why we love Elizabeth so much. She is just a precious human being and so dang wise in what she knows. Thank you for taking what you know and spreading it so generously and democratizing everything you know to make it more accessible to others. We will definitely link up in the show notes a link to the Giving USA report. Highly recommend you checking out the landscape report from CCS because that is a free service and a free roundup. We love it. We will go through it page by page and we will also highlight. So, and I'm sure you'll <laughs> see some pool, of that. Right. We'll be highlighting it by the pool this summer. Yeah. John, I don't think you've had a piece of paper that you've actually worked on in business for like a year and a half, but you'll find a way Apple to do pencil. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. Elizabeth, come back in a year. We want to see the report for next year. Thank you for taking the time and giving us such great insight today. We adore you. Thank you. This was so much fun and I hope it was valuable and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Hey friends, thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free, and you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing, if you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.